hello to all of our listeners today and welcome back to another episode of the Grad Ready podcast, GAMSAT to Med School. I'm Kaylee, And I'm Sienna. And we are pleased to be your hosts for today's discussion. So today we're tackling a really important topic that I know many of you would rather not think about, but sitting GAMSAT once is bad enough, but unfortunately it's really, really common for people to have to sit it more than once. So that's what we're going to be discussing today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the unfortunate reality when you're applying for something as competitive as medicine. So I've heard estimates of around eight or nine applicants per medical school position. So it's inevitable that there'll be lots of people reapplying each year if they didn't get in the first time. So basically, if you're in that boat, remember that you're not the only one. Yeah. It's a pretty crowded boat, lots of people in it. Um, now, re-preparing for the GAMSAT can be pretty stressful and emotionally draining, so today we'll be talking a little bit about how to manage both the academic and the emotional side of things as you go about your preparation. But before we get stuck into all that, Sienna and I will just tell you a little bit more about ourselves and our journey to sitting GAMSAT. So starting with myself, as I said earlier, my name's Kaylee. And I'm a fourth year medical student at UWA. My undergrad was in biomedical science, which I suppose is a typical, very typical degree for people who are interested in getting into medicine. Um, I actually didn't take it, take that degree because I wanted to get into medicine. In fact, my initial plans was I wanted to go into medical research and help people with cerebral palsy by doing research in cerebral palsy. But then along the way, I wanted to help people more directly. And that's why I applied for med. Um, I was quite fortunate in that I only sat the GAMSAT once. Um, but today we'll be discussing with Sienna, who has sat the GAMSAT more than once. And um, we'll explore how Sienna went around um, sort of overcoming all the challenges in doing so. So, um, so I'll pass on to Sienna now and let her introduce herself. So yeah, <laughs> thanks Kaylee. Um, so yeah, my name is Sienna and I'm a third year medical student at the University of Sydney. My undergraduate degree was in medical science at um, UCID as well. Um, and similarly to Kaylee, actually, I, I knew I wanted to go into medicine, but I didn't mind the idea of going into uh, research as a bit of a backup. So my med sci degree was definitely sort of setting me up just in case for that. Um, but I, as Kaylee said, I did reset the GAMSAT. So um, I sat it um, the first time and then sat it again one year later. Um, and I actually got the same score both times that I sat the GAMSAT. So I think I'm a little bit unique in that sense, but we're going to go through lots of tips today about how you can hopefully not be like me and actually improve your score. Uh, when you sit on sit reset GAMSAT the second time around. Yeah. So now that we've gotten the introductions out of the way, we'll get stuck into the content. So we've got a great show for you today. We're going to be discussing the best practices for sitting and resetting the GAMSAT. So we'll start by evaluating your performance from your previous sitting or sittings of GAMSAT, including looking at both of your weaknesses and your strengths. And then we'll talk about how to formulate a personalised plan to smash that next GAMSAT. 
And then at the end, we'll talk a little bit about backup plans for those of you who may not be able to afford more sittings of GAMSAT. I mean, it's a $500 test, so not everyone can afford it, whether it's for financial or for other reasons. And as always, we're super open to feedback. So if you've had your own experiences about resitting GAMSAT that you would love to share with us, uh, or if you have any other tips or tricks that we maybe miss in this podcast, you can definitely let us know. Um, we would love to hear from you uh, via our website or our Facebook page. Uh, feel free to reach out. Yeah, so let's get into it. So as I said, the first step to developing a personalised plan is to evaluate your own strengths and weaknesses. You definitely can't fix something if you don't know that it needs fixing, so that's a great place to start. Yeah, and you also can't forget the strengths because chances are there were at least some things you did well during your previous sittings and you can develop those strengths further and take them into your next sitting. I suppose one of the great things about GAMSAT is that it's a very skills-based test rather than a knowledge-based test. So there is definitely overlap in the skills between the different sections. Um, and being strong in a skill in one section can definitely help you in other sections. Yeah, exactly. So um, if you're good at reading quickly, for instance, um, that can help you in both section one and in section three because both sections have lengthy passages that you have to read. And in a similar way, being comfortable with like manipulating equations can help you uh, throughout all of section three, whether it be biology, chemistry, physics. Uh, so it's definitely good to be able to pick what skills uh, you're good at or knit the ones that need a little bit of improving. Yeah, and the other good thing about the overlapping skill requirements is that if there's something you're not good at, when you improve that skill, you should theoretically be able to improve your scores from multiple different sections that use the same skill. Yeah, very true. So now we've established it's important to learn how to use your strengths to your advantages and to improve on your weaknesses, we should change tack a little bit and start talking about how exactly to identify these strengths and weaknesses in the first place, because I know that's something a lot of people, so the first barrier a lot of people come up against. Mm -hmm. Agreed. So obviously your first starting point is probably going to be looking at your uh, the previous GAMSAT scores that you got. So having a look at your section one, two and three scores and um, really identifying where you maybe are falling down a little bit. Generally, people don't have equal scores across the section. So chances are there's one that you can pick out um, that sort of lags a little bit behind your other sections. And then the next question is, uh, what if your scores are equally terrible across all of the sections? That's a good point. And unfortunately, some people do find themselves in this dilemma. Um, in that case, you do have to drill down a bit deeper and try to find the specific skills you can work on. Um, this is probably a good idea, sort of something to do anyway, because even if you had just one section that you wanted to work on, you still need to be able to uh, make a specific plan about how you're going to improve the skills in that section. Yeah, so when you're planning for a reset, you need to really think about the skills that you need to improve. Um, unfortunately, it can be a little bit harder to pin down the actual skills compared to which section you need to work on. Um, because when you're choosing which section you need to work on, at least you have some concrete numbers to work with. Like, you know, which score got, uh, which section, I mean, got the highest 
score, but with um skills, it's a lot harder to um objectively compare them. Yeah, identifying your weight skills is definitely a lot more subjective and something I know a lot of students uh, struggle with, but there are a few ways you can go about it. So chances are you probably already know what types of questions you tend to struggle with just from doing sort of practice exams. Um, and perhaps you maybe say struggle with poetry questions in section one or graph interpretation in section three. So it can pay to really sort of do a bit of reflecting, looking back over your practice question attempts um, from the first time you prepared for GANSAT and hopefully you'll be able to get a better idea of what exactly you need to work on. So um, out of curiosity, Sienna, um, were there any skills that you realised that you struggled with and how did you come to realise that those were your weak points? So I was uh, one of the sort of rarer cases in that my GAMSAT scores were all um, clustered relatively close together or within like sort of one or two points of each other. Um, but I did know, I did was able to identify that uh, my essay section was my, my weaker one. Uh, from my first sitting of GAMSAT and that really wasn't a surprise to me at all. I'm I'm a slow writer. I always have been. I already knew that from um, even just sitting my HSC exams um, and other written exams that I'd done. Uh, and I know I can be a little bit of a perfectionist, so I struggle to uh, get out my thoughts on paper if they're not sort of fully formed, which can definitely be really hard in the GAMSAT essay section just given the time constraints you're under. Um, so for me, section, um, section two was definitely sort of the, the one that stood out. Yeah. Um, Did you have one? So thanks. Oh yeah. Um, for me also essays and, um, so section two was my weakest section and that was closely followed by section one. And I think for me, it's like being someone who's always been into like maths and science, um, humanity seemed a lot less sort of clear cut. And so for me, I knew that that was something I struggled with. Even during high school, literature was my worst subject by a, quite a big margin. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Hopefully our listeners will be able to learn something from our stories and maybe help them identify their own weaknesses. Though I'm sure not everyone um, struggles with the essay section, I know from tutoring uh, and all of our grad ready courses, there are definitely some absolutely brilliant essay writers out there. So um, I would really encourage all our listeners to uh, look at their different sections and try and figure out which one is their weakest. It's also important to look at strengths as well and not to forget your strengths. Yeah, of course. It's definitely over easy to overlook the strengths. I know a lot of us tend to be um, really self-critical and focusing on our weaknesses, um, but and it's pretty common wisdom that finding your weaknesses and improving on them is sort of the aim of resetting an exam. Yeah, because when you look at your weaknesses and try and improve them, in some ways you do get quite a lot of bang for your buck because you're probably going to get the greatest overall improvement from working just a little bit on your weaknesses rather than trying to get from strong to stronger. Yeah, I think they, I think I've heard of like the sort of the eighty twenty rule. I think that definitely applies here. Yeah. So um, what was that? The eighty twenty rule. Um, what was that again? So that's the one where like, 
your 80% of your outcomes come from 20% of your actions. So if you just do that 20% in the weaknesses, you're going to get um, a sort of 80% improvement. Oh, yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah. (laughs) So back on topic, we need to remember our strengths because they might help us find ways to tackle our weaknesses. Say if you're good at reading and understanding prose, you might decide to work on developing your prose writing for section two. Or if maybe you're good at understanding flowcharts and schematics in section three, you can transfer those skills to understanding the visual texts in section one. Yeah, and um, but honestly, I reckon one of the biggest advantages of identifying your strengths is that it helps you build confidence. So it's kind of like a reminder you're not completely hopeless, you know? <laughs> Definitely, we don't want to feel hopeless, um, though it is easy to get pretty overwhelmed when you're preparing for Gansat, especially if you're a repeat sitter. Um, so once you've established your weaknesses and come up, you might come up with what seems like a never-ending list. So it's always important to look at your strengths and remember that you do have at least something going for you. Yeah, um, just changing tack a little bit. Um, when we've been discussing our strengths and weaknesses, we've only really been talking about the academic stuff, like how we handle the stuff on the test paper. But there's also Mm. lots of other stuff that contributes to performance that's also important to identify and address as well. Definitely. If you don't sleep well leading up to the exam or maybe you have a stressful time finding a parking spot or aren't able to take a proper break at the lunchtime, you definitely can end up burning out by the end of the day. And it's so important to remember that all those things can contribute to your exam performance. Yeah, so it's important to identify what worked and what didn't. You really need to yeah, get your exam game day um, plan ironed out, especially if you're sitting again. You at least, the, like the first time you sit, you often don't know what to expect. You don't, um, you don't sort of know maybe the location or um, what the, all the testing procedures are like. But once you sit it a second time, it's definitely a lot easier to have a better plan in place. Mm, absolutely. So we're going to move on now to talk about the specifics of how to plan your study. Uh, but just to recap, it's really important to identify your strengths and weaknesses uh, as the first step after sitting um, your first GAMSAT and getting your scores back. And a good place to start is by looking at those scores um, and also looking at your performance on practice questions. And if you haven't been doing practice questions, you really should get started on that. Yes, and also don't forget that you need to be optimising the factors surrounding your performance um, when you're preparing for your next sitting. Yep, so I think that just about sums it up. So now that we've identified our strengths and weaknesses, the next stage is is to discuss how to devise a study plan that's going to suit you. Yeah, it's definitely all well and good to identify what you need to work on, but then you've actually got to do something about it. Of course. So um, when you're formulating your plan, you have to think about what your goals are. And really think about them, make them really specific and clear in your mind so that there's no doubt about what you're trying to achieve. So um, you've probably already heard about SMART goals, specific, measurable, achievable, relatable, time-bound, and we can use those exact same principles here. Yes, I definitely think that the SMART goals is something everyone's heard about by now um, and it can get a bit 
um, tiresome to hear that again, but they do definitely work. It's definitely a really good strategy. I think earlier we mentioned that identifying a narrow set of skills that you might need to work on is preferable to um, just identifying a whole GAMSAT section that needs work. And part of that reason is that by identifying a more narrow set of skills, it's much more specific, which is our first, um, the SCNS SMART course. Yeah, because when you have something more specific, it makes it much easier to target your study. Exactly. It's relatively easy to say that you need to improve on section two, um, but that doesn't help you plan much beyond vaguely knowing that you'll need to practice writing. On the other hand, if you decide you want to work on your essay structure or improve your ability to develop the setting in a creative piece, say, you'll have something more concrete to work towards and a much clearer idea of what you need to work on next time you sit down to practice. All right, so the M in SMART goal stands for measurable. So it's good to measure your progress to keep you motivated and to help you keep track of how you're progressing. So it, this really depends on what your specific goals are and what um, skills you're trying to work on. It can be um, easier to measure your progress in some areas than others. Yeah, so you might need to vary up your goal types according to what your goals are and according to what works for you. So, for example, if you're the type of person who finds it really hard to motivate yourself to study in the first place, maybe your goal might be something simply um, to study X number of days per week for Y amount of time rather than to attain a certain level of achievement. And from there, hopefully, if you're getting the right amount of study and the right type of study, then the improvement should take care of itself. Yeah, that's definitely the goal. And if you're the type of person who's not motivated um, by sort of really numbers-based goals, then you might need an actual target to aim towards and you may have to be a bit more creative in figuring out what that target's going to be. Yeah, so um, let's take our essay example, for instance. So uh, chances are you don't have anyone who's willing to mark every single one of your practice essays for you, but you still want some kind of measure of how you've improved. So you might have to mark your own essays using sample essays that you come across as a standard to compare your essays against. Now, it's probably not the best example. I'm sure you can come up with much more creative solutions than that, but hopefully you get the point. Exactly. The point is that you need to do your best to find a measurable target that you can work towards when you're trying to improve your skills. Yeah, and now we move on to the A in SMART, which stands for Achievable because there is definitely no point in setting a goal if you know from the outset that you won't be able to meet it. You're just setting yourself up for disappointment. Yeah, so for example, if English isn't your first language and you still struggle a bit with grammar because, let's face it, English isn't exactly the easiest language to learn, you're probably not going to be writing award-winning poetry overnight. And in the same way, if you haven't done physics since year 10, like me, and you failed physics even back then, very much me, you're probably not going to be an expert in physics in a short amount of time. But you could probably go from failing year 10 to passing year 10 level or higher, and that might be a bit more achievable um, depending on the amount of time you have, I guess, to prepare. Yeah, so it's important to keep realism in mind because if you set something unrealistic and then you don't achieve it, then there's a good chance you'll become disheartened and then it'll make it harder to maintain the motivation to keep going. But on the other hand, if you have a goal that's realistic and then you reach it, 
you'll get a feel-good sensation and then that will help give you the motivation to keep going. Sort of a bit like a hit of dopamine. Yeah, and definitely once you've had that first hit, you'll get the booster confidence and motivation to help propel you to tackle your other goals. At least that's the hope anyway. And I know that a lot of people really do need that um, that boost of motivation to keep going. Um, re- restudying for games, that can definitely be a bit of a drag at times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that moves us to the R in SMART. So it stands for relevant. And that's also pretty important for motivation as well. Yeah, it can definitely be hard to remember the relevance of what you're doing when you're knee-deep in poetry study. Yeah, so it's really important to try and find ways to make your goals relevant to you. So for some people, they find it easy, they find it works to create like a little poster or a board with reminders as to why studying for GAMSAT is important and putting it somewhere where they can easily see it. Uh, doesn't work for everyone, but it works for some. And if you're telling yourself, I need to study this because it's going to be in the GAMSAT, if that isn't enough to motivate you, it might help to find some more immediate reason to motivate you. For example, if you're working on your essay skills, you could remind yourself that by working on your ability to write essays, you're also improving your written communication skills more generally, which can help you in lots of areas of life. Yeah, and um, if you're working on data interpretation skills, you could remind yourself that data interpretation and being able, being able to tease out the correlations versus causations um, that's more of a, a more and more relevant skill these days with all the information and misinformation flying around social media and the like. So definitely a lot of real world relevance there. So you might feel that you're having to stretch a bit to find some real life relevance to some of what you're learning, but the relevance is there. There's a reason why these skills are tested in the GAMSAT, believe it or not. It's not purely just to torture you. All of these skills definitely, um, I know Kaylee and I can attest to They are very, very useful once you are in medicine um, and for the rest of your career beyond that. Yeah. Um, I know it's quite hard to believe sometimes that when you're in the middle of it, but they do have a relevance outside of GAMSAT. Definitely true. (laughs) Yeah. So that leaves us with the final letter of the SMART acronym, so T for time-bound. So obviously your major deadline is going to be the date of your next sitting, but it can also be really useful to set goals that are shorter than that. It's a great idea to have in place sort of short, medium and long-term goals. Uh, So you've got um, lots to be working towards. Yeah, because it's quite easy to lose focus with a long-term goal. So if you have lots of short-term goals that are achievable, it's good for bridging that gap. So it's just like a staircase. You can't get to the top in one bound. You have to take one step at a time to get there. Or maybe two steps if you like doing doubles. Which is still less effort than having to jump up the entire staircase in one bound. Very true. So one way you can go about this is having a variety of goal types. So thinking about your overarching goal and then breaking it down into smaller goals. So for example, if you wanted to improve the structure of your essays, you might start with working on building good, well-structured introductions first. And that can be one of your smaller goals. And then you might work on a good body paragraph and then on conclusions. And then at the end, you might work on writing whole essays. So each of those goals takes a shorter amount of time. um, And that 
sort of will help you move towards your GANSAP um, test day. Yeah, and it's good to also write your goals down too and put them on a board somewhere so that you remember your goals long after you've written them. It can also be a really great idea to write down your goal-relevant tasks in um, whatever form of study planner you use. Um, and that can really help you to have uh, time and sort of content in place when you sit down to study knowing, you know, I'm going to study this for X amount of time today. That'll definitely help you remember your goals and make sure that you're doing the work that you need to work towards them. Uh, so, for example, with the, the essay example we just mentioned, you might set out 30 minutes, four days a week to practice writing introduction paragraphs. Yeah, so that's something we haven't actually talked about yet, um, having a study planner. Obviously, there's no one-size-fits-all um, technique for studying but most students definitely do find that having a study planner is really useful so it doesn't have to be anything fancy it could literally just be um, a notebook where you write down a rough guide of when and what you're going to study um, but you could also use a calendar app on your phone if you prefer digital um, and there's heaps of great apps out there uh, if that's more your style but if you know that you're going to study when you sit down to study um, you'll be much more efficient in your efforts. And another advantage as well is if you're a mature age student or you have lots of other commitments, if you block out certain periods of time, it can help you communicate when you'll be busy studying. That's definitely true. And when you're planning, it's a really good idea to factor in um, when you're going to study what. For example, if you know that Thursdays are always a really hectic day for you, consider studying topics that feel less difficult or alternatively just using Thursday as a rest day. Yeah, so don't underestimate rest days. Just like when you're working out physically, like it's important to have these rest days so that you can stay refreshed and make sure that things stick. And that's, I think, definitely true when people are restudying for GAMSAT. There's a tendency to um, get quite exhausted and a little bit burnt out. Um, it can be a definitely long journey, like in my case, where I didn't reset the GAMSAT till a whole year later. If I'd been studying full on that entire time, I definitely would not have made it um, to the exam and my studying wouldn't have been as efficient. Yeah. Uh, it's just about time to move on to our final topic, but we'll just do a quick recap. So in summary, when you're planning your study, make sure you've got SMART goals and have a study planner. So it's pretty simple, classic advice you've probably heard before, but there's a reason why this advice has persisted and that's because it works. Yeah, definitely true. It does work. Yeah, so we'll move on to our final topic, which is having a plan B. Let's face it, most of us would rather not think about that, but the reality is that not everyone is fortunate enough to have the opportunity to reset GAMSAT multiple times. Um, you know, I know some people that have sat it five plus times, and for other people, um, they only had the one time to sit it. So um, it's definitely something that needs to be considered. Yeah, like for starters, GAMSAT is pretty expensive. It's, I think, $505 last time I checked. I, I might have gone up since. Yeah, and if you're someone who is um, you're not working, say, while you're studying for GAMSAT, you've got to consider the fact that that means you're missing out on a lot of potential earnings. 
We often don't like to talk about backup plans because everyone loves the narrative of people who try 50 billion times until they finally get in. But I think it's still really important to talk about because it's the reality for a lot of people that they can't afford to keep trying. And the reality is, even if you do end up having to follow one of your backup plans, there's always the opportunity to reapply in the future. Many graduate entry medical programs are full of students who have done other careers and reapplied later in life. I definitely know at UCID often that sometimes feels even more common than the people who come in straight out of undergrad. Um, you know, there are often people in their 30s and 40s or perhaps even older who um, decide to come back to university to go to medical school. Uh, I think there's even a Facebook group called Late to Med School for all of those people who pursued alternative careers first um, and then went back to pursue maybe a long-held dream of being a doctor or even a newly found dream where they, they didn't know that that was what they wanted to do when they were younger. Yeah, so while you might feel like you're a failure or you're a quitter for having to pursue an alternative route, remember there's nothing wrong in doing so and you're not alone. Yeah, that's definitely true. So with backup plans, the most obvious one is to look for an alternative healthcare career and there's so much to choose from. For example, a lot of people go into, say, nursing or podiatry or um, maybe even dentistry being an option, though you do have to still sit GAMSAT for that one. Um, but pharmacy is really popular, uh, as well as physiotherapy or occupational therapy. Um, and there are probably so many other options that I can't think of off the top of my head. But it's so important to keep in mind as well that a lot of these um, healthcare-related careers, if you do decide to go into medicine again um, at a later stage, the skills that you have from those careers absolutely put you leaps and bounds ahead of maybe your um, your colleagues that haven't uh, had a career prior to going into medical school. Yeah, and um, a lot of these options can be done postgraduate as well, so you don't actually have to go through an entire undergrad degree again. So, for example, the um, University of Melbourne has a five-semester Master of Nursing Science that might be worth looking into. And if your GANSAT score is decent and you like working with your hands, you might consider applying for postgrad dentistry at UMELB, UWA or UCID. Yeah, there's definitely so many options out there and it's a pity that we can't really talk about all of them in depth now, but maybe that could be a whole other podcast episode in the future. If any of those professions do tickle your fancy though, it's certainly worth popping into Google um, and seeing what you can find. Yeah, absolutely. And um, who knows, you might find yourself in a career that you really enjoy and find fulfilling. And another backup plan that a lot of people do is um, maybe further study. If you're someone like me who feels like, honestly, you could stay at university forever, um, you just really enjoy studying. Um, doing a master's or a PhD is definitely another option. Yeah, and another advantage of this option, similar to the... um other careers that we spoke about before is that should you choose to reapply for medicine later on you might find yourself in a better position later in your career for example applying for specialty training yeah having those qualifications under your belt can make a massive difference when you're applying for medicine or in your later career as Kaylee just said so some institutions will give bonuses for having completed a master's or phd for example, University of Western Australia, where Kaylee is, gives a bonus of 0.2 um, to your GPA if you've done a master's, and it even gives you an automatic perfect GPA of 7 if you've done a PhD. So even though 
doing a master's or PhD might seem really daunting. They can be super helpful if your GAMSAT score was, um, you know, not too bad, but you don't currently have the GPA that you need to get into medicine. Yeah, and then the other part is that doing a master's or a PhD can give you a lot of knowledge that will serve you well in your career, especially if you're doing a career in a medically related field. I'm not even talking about the book knowledge. I'm talking about learning about the process of medical research, getting to network with experts in the field, and to some extent, learning about the healthcare system in general. And not to mention getting publications under your belt. I know specialty training, uh, a lot of the sort of training programs, it's actually a requirement now that you have publications. Um, But regardless, they're a great thing to have. Yeah, especially if you're trying to apply for more competitive specialties, such as ophthalmology or some of the more competitive surgical subspecialties. On the other hand, though, if you are going to go down this route, particularly if you're going to go down the PhD route, you need to make sure you're not doing it purely as a pathway into medicine. It's a really, really long process, and I know a lot of people um, get a little burnt out. So if you're, um, especially if you're not passionate about what you're, um, what you're studying, so it's a really important thing to um, think about all aspects of it and really weigh things up before you commit to it. Yes, you need a lot of self-motivation and drive to essentially study the same thing day in, day out for at least three years straight and often more. By the end of it, even if you are passionate at the start, you people often find themselves having to really work to find the motivation to draft up the thesis. So you can imagine that if you didn't really have the passion even at the start, it would be excruciatingly difficult to finish. So make sure that if you're going to have the PhD, you have the passion for the PhD. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And if you don't think you do have the passion for a PhD, you can consider doing a master's instead or even choosing a completely different route Um, because obviously those things aren't going to be for everyone. In my personal case, I actually did start a master's of public health at UCID um, while I was sort of taking a bit of a year off after my undergraduate degree um, because I got halfway through the year and was just like, I need to do some kind of study um, and maybe that's something I'll go back and finish one day. Um, but that's always something to keep in mind that if you start these one of these programs in the meantime while you're start restudying for GAMSAT, you don't have to complete them. You can come back to them later on. Yeah. And then another alternative option as well for your plan B is to simply enter the workforce with whatever qualifications you currently have, assuming you're not already in the workforce. Yeah, that's sometimes easier said than done, though, particularly if you have a degree that doesn't directly lead into a specific uh, profession. So I know people like to drag on arts degrees for this, but chances are if you have a degree in biomedical science, you might be struggling to think of a suitable job opportunity. Uh, You're definitely not alone there. It can be a little hard to navigate. Yeah, so some of the more obvious jobs for a biomedical science degree include research assistant jobs, which can be unfortunately a little bit difficult to find. Some students who did an honours year were able to stay on as a research assistant in their lab, but then not all labs or research groups have enough funding for a research assistant. So you might have to be a bit more creative. I actually know someone who's got a degree majoring in biomedical science, who managed to get a, um, a job as a, um, like a respiratory 
respiratory tech, I guess, um, helping with measuring respiratory function in one of the hospital private hospitals here. So um, that's been you know, something quite relevant um, and also quite interesting for her as well. Yeah, that's definitely something worth considering. And if you're struggling, your university should have a careers office or something similar that might be able to um, help you out on making this decision and uh, planning things out the, in the best way that's going to work for you. Uh, so employment statistics are a measure used to compare universities. So it's often actually in the university's best interest to help you find a graduate job. Yeah. And then there's also plenty of jobs out there that do not care what your degree is in. All they care about is that you've got a degree. So make sure to cast your net pretty wide because you might be surprised at what you find. Yeah, so, so as I said there, I, I when I had my year off between um, resetting GAMSAT, I took a job in something completely unrelated just to earn a bit of money and to sort of give me something to do in the meantime. I worked as a personal assistant at an advertising firm, so absolutely something completely unrelated to medicine. But you know what I definitely did learn from that? was that there is no way I could work in an office environment for my entire life. Um, within a few months of that, I was totally over it. And it did help me know that doing medicine and going into medicine was 100% the right course for me. Um, I couldn't really imagine doing anything else with the rest of my career. Mm. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Um, I've also got, well... My, my journey is pretty straightforward, but I have a classmate who applied for med school back when you basically had one shot to apply at the end of high school. And then if you didn't get in, you could try again at the end of your first year undergrad and he still didn't get in. So he went on and did a chemistry degree, got a PhD in chemistry, taught chemistry in high school for like a decade. And then he was starting to get a bit tired of that. And then his wife said, hey, he said that you always wanted to be a doctor when you were growing up. Why don't you try and reapply? And so now he's in his mid-40s and he's in the same cohort as me. Yeah, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's actually way more common than you would think. Um, so I guess that leads us into, I think, about time to uh, start wrapping up. But... Yeah, so um, just to recap that section, there's a lot of options if you don't get into medicine and don't have the resources to keep pursuing right now. So you might consider going into another healthcare profession, doing a research degree, or simply joining the workforce. So all three of these options are pretty solid and they can give you the opportunity to make a meaningful contribution to society. But just be sure to keep an open mind and to um, look for any opportunities that might come up. Yeah, that's definitely great advice. Yeah, so we're coming to the end of our podcast now, so I thought we should finish up with just a quick summary of everything we've talked about today. So we've gone through quite a lot of content today. Firstly, we were talking about how to identify your strengths and weaknesses, and then from that, how to address them, and also how to have some plan B options if things still don't quite go your way. So with strengths and weaknesses, we talked about using your past performance on GAMSAT and on practice tests to identify your weak points as well as your strong points. And then we also mentioned that it's important to look at other aspects of your GAMSAT strategy, such as optimising your sleep and nutrition on the day. 
And then we also talked about addressing your strengths and weaknesses and using the SMART goals acronym to help you plan out what you're going to work on your goals um, and to use a study planner to help with that. Yes, and then um, we rounded it off by discussing a few solid plan B options, so other healthcare professions, research degrees and entering the workforce. And that was our show for today. So I hope everyone listening found at least something in here um, that is useful for them. Yeah, um, I hope so. And I'd really like to thank everyone for tuning in today. Yeah, it's been a wonderful time and we're looking forward to um, seeing you on our next podcast, uh, which uh, if you follow us on uh, Spotify or um, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, um, and make sure you keep an eye out for uh, when that comes out. Yeah, and in the meantime, if you have anything else that you want to know about GAMSAT or the medical school application process, then you should definitely check out our website, gradready.com.au. We've got plenty of info on the application process as well as a blog where we cover similar topics to what we cover on the podcast. And if you're struggling with getting study materials or giving yourself some direction when you're studying for GAMSAT, GradReady definitely has you covered. We have so many courses, private tutoring, uh, multiple choice question banks, and so much more. So um, be sure to check out that website. It really is um, a bit of a gold mine. Yeah. So once again, thank you to everyone for listening. And we wish you all the best in GAMSAT and in the medical school application process. And that's it from us for today. So thank you for tuning in and listening to Kaylee and I. Uh, and we hope you got something out of this. Um, and we'll see you next time on Grad Ready Podcast, GAMSAT to Medical School.